It's Tuesday, January 8, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, recently I had the opportunity to visit the White House in Washington, D.C. to be able to speak on and listen about the administration's view on religious liberty issues, uh, especially concerning foster care and adoption. And while I was in D.C., I had the opportunity to drop by the ERLC, the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and meet with Chelsea Sobolik. So I hope you enjoyed this interview with Chelsea. We're here with Chelsea Patterson Sobolik, and so grateful to have her today on the Defender Podcast. And uh, Chelsea's story is that she is one of six adopted children, and she was adopted uh, at uh, as an infant in Romania. And uh, really, she is now the policy director for the ERLC here in Washington D.C. and uh, has just written a new book, uh, "Longing for Motherhood," which is, I think, such an introspective look at the journey of infertility because. One, you were adopted because of parents' infertility and now are experiencing your own infertility and such a such a fresh book for so many women that are going through this journey. So Chelsea, thanks for joining us on the Defender Podcast. And first, being one of six adopted children, tell us a little bit about your personal experience of adoption. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, so growing up with, uh, there were, six of us that were adopted. Um, None of us are biologically related, um, but two of us are from Romania, and my brother is 11 days older. So we essentially grew up as twins, which was really, uh, really, really fun. And then um, Romania closed its doors to foreign adoption, so my parents adopted four more from Russia. So we always joke that the Olympics are the most exciting time in our house because we always (laughs) cheer for our uh, country of origin. So, but growing up... um, my mom homeschooled all six of us all the way through and it was normal adoption was very normal for our family and um we were all um it was a very normal part of conversation to talk about kind of where we'd come from what that experience was like most of us were infants um or under three years old but I had one sister who was six and she came home speaking Russian um and that was a learning process for the family and so it's just very normal and especially um having so many we had lots of good conversations but I don't think it was until we kind of reached our mid-teens that we realized that not everyone had such a big heart for adoption or had the same experiences and whatnot so but we all had a really positive experience and yeah that's awesome Mm -hmm. so you had Obviously, growing up in this home, uh, you you were aware of infertility mm-hmm. and, and the issues, and uh, but how it wasn't it wasn't a limitation for your right. family because obviously the fullness and the richness of having mm-hmm. six yeah. siblings and six children and being able to provide such a home and a hope mm-hmm. for those children, but but then you ended up writing this book because of your own infertility issues. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about just uh, the book and and what compelled you to write it. Mm-hmm. So my story with childlessness is a little bit different than most people's. Um, I found out when I was a late, I was 18, 19, mm-hmm. um, when I found out that I was born with 
a birth defect and couldn't have my mm. own children. So most people walk through infertility or miscarriage in the context of marriage, and I walk through it as the in the context of a freshman going into my freshman year in right. college. So it was a much different experience, and I had grown up um, in a very Christian home. I was the kid that prayed the prayer at age five and um, had always considered myself a Christian, but when childlessness entered into my life, it was my first experience with suffering and not getting what I wanted um, based off my good behavior. And so I kind of entered into a fight for faith Mm. and to be completely honest it was um almost that make it or break it moment with am I gonna keep following Christ even though Mm. um I don't like what he's allowed into my life or am I gonna throw up my hands and Mm. say it's too much and God's grace by God's grace he kept me close um I walked out of the doctor's office and walked into the doors of the local bookstore and bought every book on suffering I could find and was searching for books on infertility, childlessness. Um, But the only ones I could find were either very, very narrowly focused or from a very different theological perspective. Mm. And I, so I just bought every suffering book I could find. (laughs) Um, But Longing for Motherhood is the book I wish I'd had 10 Mm. years ago when I was standing crying in a bookstore Mm. trying to find a resource to put an arm around me and let me know I wasn't alone. Um, And I've been really intentional with the language of childlessness Mm. um, because that's an umbrella term for infertility, miscarriage, um, secondary infertility, you know, birth moms Mm -hmm. who have um, chosen adoption for uh, their children, um, women oh, that have had abortions. Right. It really does encompass a lot um, more than just... Infer- so I've tried to be right. very intentional with the language. Um, so this truly is the book I wish I'd mm. had yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think such a needed yeah. asset and resource because unfortunately a lot of times when women are walking through infertility it's kind of mm-hmm. like the quiet curse mm-hmm. that no one talks about and mm-hmm. uh that you just go around and you you kind of tiptoe and, and you wonder and and it's so emotional and so yeah. to have something that's not just helping you understand this journey but helping mm-hmm. you understand it from a theological standpoint is mm-hmm. so important and i know that uh we were talking earlier and you said that your dream was that Dr. Moore would write the introduction. (laughs) And so he did. And that has actually propelled you to do some writing. You love, you're a good writer. Mm -hmm. You enjoy writing to write for the ERLC and now are the policy director here in Washington, Mm DC. So talk a little bit about that position and maybe even how the book opened up the opportunities at the ERLC. Yeah. So I have had a very deep respect for, the ERLC and Dr. Moore for a number of years. Um, I think his tone and his posture and the way he's led the organization um, is really a breath of fresh air when um, so many organizations are very partisan or very, partisan is probably the best word. Um, And he's a very, he's a a breath of fresh air. And so I've just had a, a lot of respect for him and organization and have written a few pieces on their website and um when I was writing the book I thought who in my dream world who who would write the foreword and um he was the top of the list 
Um, they have two sons adopted from Russia, mm. and um, he's actually written a book called Adopted for Life, and um, just understands the issues really, really well. And um, I asked, and he agreed. And um, fast forward to a couple months ago, um, I applied and accepted um, the job of policy director here. So um, our DC office, the Leland House, um, sends a lot of time kind of educating Mm. and um, advocating on um, issues close to the heart of the ERLC and we would say Mm. close to the heart of God. We do a lot of issues on um, justice. Um, You know, we've been working on criminal justice reform right now, Mm. Um, do a lot of work on human dignity issues, Mm. which um, are a lot of the pro-life issues, child welfare issues. So um, our work here, um, in my opinion, is deeply, deeply important. Mm. Um, Government is one of the God-ordained institutions, Mm. and Christians have a responsibility to be actively engaged, um, whether that's as a citizen or as a policymaker or any different avenue of what that looks like, but um, we get to represent um, the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, we represent fif- uh, 15 million um, Southern Baptists mm. in the U.S. and about 46,000 churches, so a pretty big imprint um, mm. representing on the Hill and to the administration. So um, we have quite a lot of work to do, but it's um, exciting and um, deeply, deeply important Um, I like to tell the story of William Wilberforce when he was working to eradicate slavery in England. He not only worked um, on policy, which was deeply important, but he also worked to reshape the imagination of the society. So it would be unthinkable that people would ever own another person Mm. in slavery. And so that's kind of how I view the role of um, the ERLC advocating on policy, but also helping reimagine a world Mm. where um, it would be unthinkable that a child is in foster care Mm -hmm. or ages out of foster care or without a Mm. loving family. And so um, kind of a dual purpose, um, but that's, that's where I am now. And I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled. And I know one of the big policy initiatives, like you talked about is the dignity of life Mm -hmm. uh, from the ERLC. And, Mm -hmm. and certainly I'd agree with you. I love the way that under Dr. Moore's leadership, mm-hmm. the ERLC has taken more of a nonpartisan view mm-hmm. to, to really try to win both sides to the life issue mm-hmm. uh, because it is important that we, uh, not just from an abortion standpoint, but yeah. we support the dignity of life. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is through adoption and foster care. Yeah. And obviously we're, we're coming soon upon Sanctity of Human Life Day yeah. when we look at the dignity and the sanctity of human life and uh, ERLC will do the Evangelicals yes. for Life and <laughs> You know, one of the things that you have obviously a, a, a rich experience with is not just walking through infertility, but being uh, an adoptee that's walking through infertility. And mm-hmm. so having experienced adoption from being adopted yeah. and from walking through infertility personally, uh, what advice would you give or, or, or uh, you know, words of encouragement mm. would you give to those that are walking through infertility now? A lot. <laughs> First of all, and... Um, probably my biggest piece of advice and wisdom to offer is give yourself the room and the freedom to grieve um, and the space and time to grieve. Um, it's a, it really is a deep, hard issue. Um, it affects approximately one in 10 couples, which is 
huge. Mm -hmm. And that means sitting in the pews of every church. There are people struggling. Um, So I would would say give yourself the time Mm. you need and don't rush yourself through that. Um, And to seek out God's promises in the midst of childlessness. Mm. Um, It was really interesting when I was first wrestling through what that looked like. Um, Several people very well intentioned said, well, you're adopted. You can just adopt. And what they, factually, that is true. But what they weren't understanding is I needed to grieve Mm. the loss of Mm. the dream before even considering Mm. adoption in that way. Um, And, you know, so many other people would say to me, well, if you just have enough faith. Mm. Um, And in the back of my head, I thought, well, I was actually born with a birth defect. So that's not not going (laughs) to work. Um, I really do believe God is sovereign over our trials. And so um, search out the promises of God that we can actually lay hold of, which are God promises never Mm. to leave us, even in our darkest pit. He promises to love us. Mm. You know, he doesn't promise us an easy life um, as much as I want one Mm. sometimes. So just seek out truth in the midst of your grieving. Um, I'm a really big advocate for um, adoption not being a band-aid to Mm. infertility um, and to actually grieve Mm. the loss of what you don't have before entering into um, adoption because it's it's not fair to the couple adopting Mm. it's not fair to the child Mm. Um, it needs to for a couple struggling with infertility I would say really think through it Mm. before entering into the process yeah because you need to you need to go ahead and be have healing mm-hmm. because ultimately when you adopt and and you know this firsthand mm-hmm. especially probably from bringing your sister home who mm-hmm. was six there's there is grief and loss yeah. there yeah. the child that you're bringing into your home as well for mm-hmm. every child but especially for older children as well and so you need to have have been able to to heal from mm-hmm. your grief and your loss so absolutely kind of as we as we wrap up and and one of the things that we want to do as a ministry at Lifeline, is mm-hmm. equip the church to better care for orphans mm-hmm. and widows and families. And and one of the things that, that I have to say is we don't do a great job sometimes mm-hmm. as friends and family mm-hmm. in the church wrapping yeah. around and walking with families going through infertility. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to the church mm-hmm. on how to wrap around families and women that are going through the loss of infertility? It's a very good question. Um, I think just being mindful mm-hmm. Um, I attended a church for a while that um, on Sunday evenings um, they would bring couples up to announce their pregnancies or announce Mm -hmm. engagements. And while that's fine and good, it's also very, very hurtful sitting Mm -hmm. there for the single woman who wants to be married Mm -hmm. or the couple who has tried for years and it's just not working. Um, You know, those types of things are best announced in a community, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a smaller community than Mm -hmm. from the stage. Right. Um, so I would, I would say be mindful, you know, for a pastor in his sermons to remember Mm. the childless or, and what he prays for, or, you know, what he even jokes about, Mm. um, again, because it affects so many people. Um, I really do think pastors Mm. need to be mindful. And then, um, I would say, you know, in a, a smaller community, just having, open and honest conversations of um, being able to say last week was really hard for Mm. this, this, this reason. And, um, you know, banding together, praying together, um, 
walking, mm. just walking through life together. And um, I think when the church actually is the church in those ways mm. and is careful what they talk about mm. and pray about, and um, I really do think there will be more flourishing mm. of people being willing to say that they've walked through this journey or they're mm. in the middle of it. So yeah. those are just a few and I guess as you're walking through this too, thinking of friends that, that may know they have family mm-hmm. or friends or a small group member or someone in their church walking through infertility mm-hmm. and they want to help mm-hmm. and they want to do that. Um, you know, as someone who's walked through this journey, mm-hmm. uh, do you give them the permission to, to enter mm-hmm. into that space and how's best to enter into that space without question. being hurtful, yeah. but also to say, I'm here and I'm available. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. I think everyone grieves differently. And so um, it can be tricky sometimes to figure out, was it helpful if I ask you on a weekly basis how you're doing? Or is that just more hurtful to keep asking you? Um, So for friends and family, I would honestly say, ask the person what is most helpful. Whether that's getting their mind off of it and watching a movie together or sitting down and talking for two hours. Um, And that might look different you know, in different seasons, but just asking, like, how can I care for you best? Um, I um, am a big fan of the Five Love Language book, um, and everyone, mm-hmm. everyone's different. God created right. us all different, and so we don't grieve differently. We don't receive care mm. the same. Um, so just asking yeah. and then following through. Well, I, Chelsea, I, I want to thank you for <laughs> just your honest look at your own personal struggle and certainly would encourage others even if you haven't walked through infertility, Mm -hmm. to get a copy of Longing for Motherhood, uh, just because it's not just talking about uh, a personal struggle, but also how to help others Mm -hmm. and to wrap around others. And I think it also gives us a a great look as well at at this issue of human dignity Mm -hmm. and and adoption Mm -hmm. and how, too, I think although adoption can be beautiful for a couple walking through infertility, it's not just for couples walking through infertility either. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it also shows us that whenever we come into adoption, whenever we come into caring for others, we're bringing in our own baggage and our own hurt and our own pain. Uh, but God does such a great work mm-hmm. that if we'll give it to him and if we'll come to him, yeah. we'll be honest with him in our pain and our suffering, that he will bring healing that we can then pass on mm-hmm. to others. So thank you for allowing the Lord to heal you in this and then to pass on that healing to others so that they will ultimately seek him. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks you for being here. And again, we hope that you will pick up a copy of Longing for Motherhood by Chelsea Patterson Sobolik, and you can find that at Amazon or your local bookstores. Well, thanks for listening to Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.